good morning. It is so good to see you all this morning. Uh, my name is Pastor Jonathan. I want you to know that you are welcome here, and I am grateful that you have joined us today. Now, I love Christmas, and it looks like Christmas in our church now, and I'm so grateful. I love the decorations. Uh, there's one side effect of Christmas that I'm not particularly a fan of, and uh, that's the junk, the sickness that you get. I've got that right now, and so I apologize if I didn't shake your hand on the way in, and I won't shake your hand on the way out. Uh, that's me loving you by not sharing the Christmas spirit that I have right now, okay? <laughs> when I was a kid, uh, I loved Christmas because I got excited for the presence and the unknown of what it may be uh, that I receive. And however, now as an adult, I get excited with the return of what is familiar and what is consistent and that comes each year. And I love all these things. I love the decorations. I love the songs. I love the lights. I even love the holiday flavored creamers and milkshakes that they have over at Chick-fil-A. God bless them. I love them. I love watching the Hallmark movies with my wife. That is the same movie I recorded 350, 350 times with seven different actors and seven different characters, right? It's all the same movie, but I love watching it with my wife in, in, in those times. Uh, Christmas is like the seasons of the year. It's consistent, except with Christmas also comes with it a season of remembrance, remembering why it is that we celebrate Christmas and remembering the story of Christmas and remembering what it meant for Jesus to be born. And while I love all that comes with Christmas, I think it's important for us to continually remember and remind ourselves why it is that we celebrate Christmas. So this December, I want us to walk through a series entitled The Songs of Christmas. And through this series of remembering the songs of Christmas, I want us to remember why it is that we celebrate Christmas. And I hope this series will stir you to a greater appreciation of Christmas Day as we celebrate Jesus' first arrival, and then we look forward to his coming and anticipate his second coming and his second arrival. Today, I want us to begin with the song that we begin our service with, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Verse 1 says this, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. So when I hear this song, the first question I have, and I've had throughout the years, is, well, who is Emmanuel? Well, we can come to the conclusion real quick that Emmanuel is the Hebrew name that literally means God with us. So Emmanuel literally means God is here with us. And with our carol today, it's pleading for Emmanuel to come. Well, why did we need God to come and be with us? Why did we need Emmanuel to come? Why did we need God to come and be with us to ransom those who have been taken captive? Well, today I believe that we can find the answers to those questions in the very first book in the Bible, in Genesis. So if you have a copy of God's Word today, I would invite you to turn to the very first page of the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, that is okay. We should have some sitting in front of you that you can use for today. <clears throat> Let's begin looking at Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. It says this, Genesis chapter 1. Verses 1 through 2. It says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was out for, without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. 
And we see in this very first two verses of the book of the Bible, the very first book of the Bible, it says, at the beginning, there was God alone. And we also see that out of nothing, God created everything. Well, what did God create? Well, many of us are familiar with the days of creation, and we see those uh, listed out through uh, chapters three. Uh, I mean, uh, chapter one, verses three through thirty-one. Uh, just look through your Bible real quick, and we'll just run through those real quick, just to remind you. So we see day one, He created light, and then second day created the sea and the sky. Day three, the fertile land and the plants. Day four, sun, moon, and stars. Day five, uh, the creatures of the water and the air. And then day six, the creatures of the land. So God created everything in a literal six days of creation. And on this day, the very final day of creation on day six, we see that more detail is given to its creative events than in the previous five because in verses 26 through 31, God creates humans. And he gives instructions in order over all of creation. But there's something very different about the creation of humans than all others. Let's look at verse 26 through 31 to see what that difference is. It says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, <clears throat> and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Let's stop right there. So we see on this final day of creation, there was something very different about humans that were created. God made man and woman in his image. And further, we see in verses 28 through 30, God gave them dominion or placed them over all things. So they were created in his image, and then they were to multiply, and then they were given dominion over every created thing. Well, now look at verse 31. What does verse 31 say? It says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So God created. He created everything out of nothing. He created everything that can be seen and touched and felt, including humans who he placed over all created things. And they were created in his image. They were to multiply they would have dominion over everything. And verse 31 says that God saw everything that he had made, and it was good. Everything was without error. Everything was perfect. Further, we see evidence that everything was good in, in an unlikely place in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, the last, chap, the last verse of chapter 2 now. It says this, And man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Now, that would not occur today, would it? See, in their innocence and living in a world that was good, man and woman had no shame of their nakedness because they were innocent. And this is a declaration that man and his wife had no guilt in this moment because everything in all of creation was good. See, in the beginning, creation was good. But however, humans were not just created to exist, but God also issued man an assignment, a command, and a consequence. Look back in chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, as we see that uh, assignment, commandment, and consequence here. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, it says this, <clears throat> The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. 
And the Lord God commanded the man by saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. See, man was in the garden. Humans were in the garden for a purpose, to work it and to keep it. They had a purpose in being there. But then God also gave them a command and a freedom. A man's freedom was that they could eat of every tree of the garden, but there was one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that he could not eat. And then God also gave them a consequence. If man ate of that tree, then he would surely die. See, this is the beginning. God created man, and he created woman in his image. He declared everything was good, and then God gave man this assignment, this commandment, and this consequence if that commandment was broken. So if everything was good, if God declared everything is good, then why did God with us need to come? Why did he need to come to ransom those of us who uh, were in need of him, who are in sin? Well, let's continue looking in Genesis chapter 3 as we look at Genesis chapter 1. And this is where we'll lie for most of our text today, Genesis chapter 1 through 7. And it says this in Genesis chapter 3, sorry, verse 1. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So, so far we've been introduced to man and woman and to God. And then we've been introduced to the part of creation that man has been placed over, the serpent, and we're told here, who was more crafty than other be- any other beast of the garden that the Lord God had made. And we can understand that the word serpent used here is the general word for snake. So this was a crafty creature, a crafty snake. And there's a little bit of wordplay that we're not uh, privy to uh, in the original language in the Hebrew. In, in the Hebrew. Uh, the word for crafty and the word for naked are actually the same word, but they're spelled a little bit different. So there's a little bit of wordplay here. So when we saw that verse in chapter 225, where we saw the nakedness of man and the innocence of man, and then in the very next verse in chapter 3, verse 1, it's the same word used to declare the craftiness or the evilness of the serpent that was present in this original language. So there would have been a little bit of tension here. It causes us to pay attention against the innocence of man and the evil intentions of this crafty creature. So what is this crafty creature's message? He says, well, did God really say? He offers an alternative to God's plan for the woman, and he causes her to question God's word. But notice up to this point, God had been referred to as the Lord God, but also notice the language that the crafty snake uses here. He merely calls him God and not the Lord our God. And this is small, but this is incredibly significant. He's very crafty in removing God's covenant name, God's lordship that had been used up to this point. And not only does the crafty snake remove the lordship from God's title, but then he also misquotes God's command from back in chapter 2. See, the command that we just looked at in 2, 15 through 17 said that man could eat of any tree in the garden. But now the crafty snake instead makes it about what? What they're not allowed to do. And that's really where the craftiness of this snake is headed. And the craftiness of evil is headed. It's turning human hearts away from making it all about God to making it all about ourselves. To making God's command seem burdensful 
to us instead of freeing. In fact, the crafty snake in doing this removes the gracious good gift that God has given Adam and Eve because he did what? He allowed them to eat of every tree and he was providing for them. But instead, this crafty snake makes it about what they're not allowed to have instead of what the good gift that God has given them of all the food of this garden. See, this creature is really crafty. But what's Eve's response in this moment? Well, let's look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 2 through 5. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 3, verses 2 through 5. This is Eve's response. It says this, And the woman said to the serpent, Well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So we find out in verse 2, we may have been wondering, what did Eve even know this command? Was she present when this command was given to Adam? And we find out that, yes, Eve did know this command. She knew God's expectations. However, Eve made several mistakes here. And the first was listening to a talking snake. I mean, can we just pause for a second and think about that? Eve's just walking through the garden, and then she finds herself face-to-face with a snake, and then that crafty creature begins to speak, and Eve sticks around and listens. I don't know about you, but if I'm just walking through the woods and a snake pops out and starts talking at me, I'm not sticking around to see what that snake has to say. And second, this creature not only speaks, but this creature's also speaking contrary to God's word. I mean, think about the irony of this moment. This snake is a creature who was placed under the dominion of humans by God. But instead of this creature, instead this creature is telling humans over it what to think about God who is over all of them. And Eve listens to the creature who is speaking contrary to the creator. I mean, there is a thick irony here. And then notice in verse 3, Eve was affected by the serpent. Notice her words when she speaks back to the serpent. Even when she repeated God's command back to the serpent, she gets some of the details wrong because she's been impacted by the serpent. She leaves out the descriptors of any and freely. But then she also identifies the tree with its location, and she adds in not being able to touch it. But the most notable error she makes is what? She reflects the language that he used with not calling him the Lord God. She removes his covenant name and just simply calls him God. She removes the title of the Lord from God's name. See, this crafty creature had subtly stripped Eve's view of God's lordship by calling into question God's integrity. And see, in our lives as well, anytime that we allow voices that are contrary from God and God's word to speak into our lives, it affects our understanding of God's word and our view of God. Now look at the end of verse 3. It says, lest you die. See, it was clear that Eve knew the consequences of this sin, of this disobedience, saying that it was death. But also notice she left out the descriptor of surely that we saw back in the original language of 2.17. So even listening to the voice of this crafty serpent had caused Eve to doubt whether this would be a reality, which is evidenced by her language that she speaks here. And then look at verse 4. <clears throat> it says, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. So this doubt that 
Eve allows in of not knowing if she will surely die, allows this crafty creature to weave his way in an open door of the direct denial of the truthfulness of God's word. See, God had said, if they disobeyed him, then they would surely die. But the creature, this crafty creature, this crafty serpent says, you will not surely die. And this is how the voices of evil work in our lives as well, isn't it? They begin with distorting what God's word actually says, and then they end up denying God's word altogether, don't they? Then we see in verse 5, further, the crafty creature instills this idea that God is keeping Adam and Eve from something, that he's holding something back from them. Verse 5 says, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So this serpent instills this idea that, hey, if you disobey God, there's something to be gained, that your eyes will be open, that you will be like God. And see, the crafty serpent here is operating in half-truths. It is true that God is keeping Adam and Eve from something. It is true that their eyes will be open. And it is true that they will be like God in knowing that evil exists. However, the crafty creature here only spoke about what it was that even Adam would gain and avoided mentioning what it was that they would lose in this process. That although they would become like God in knowing good and evil, she would also become burdened with guilt and embarrassment that they would obtain wisdom in exchange for death. See, this is how the evil one works in our life as well, telling us half-truths, only telling us what we are to gain with sin and not revealing what it is that we are to lose with sin. And then look at verses 6 through 7. It says this in verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, And that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So this this verse in verse 6 contains a lot of action in a fast-paced format, which is often how sin occurs in our life, isn't it? You thought about it, you dwelt on it, but when it happens, it happens quickly and it happens abruptly. And look at these action words in this verse. Eve saw, she took, she ate, she gave, and Adam ate. Eve saw, she saw that the fruit was good. God had just declared earlier that the fruit was not good for them. But here, Eve makes herself the determiner of what is good rather than God. And however, just seeing the fruit wasn't the problem, but the look led to the temptation that led to the action. At this point, the crafty serpent had succeeded in bringing temptation to Adam, I mean to Eve. However, there was still a choice to be made. See, when temptation comes in all of our lives, there's always a choice to be made, isn't there? An action that can, we can either run to or we can run from. And in this case, Eve did not run from the temptation, but she kept going down the path towards temptation and towards sin. We see that Eve took the fruit. Now, contrary to what Eve had added in to the command of God, the sin was not Eve just holding the fruit or taking the fruit. That wasn't the problem. But glaring at and holding temptation in her hand, that wasn't enough, was it? Now facing temptation in the eye and having bought the lies of this crafty serpent, her focus was now on what she couldn't have instead of what God told her that she could have. So Eve saw the fruit, Eve took the fruit, and Eve ate the fruit. She directly disobeyed God. 
But that wasn't it, was it? She hands the fruit to someone that's standing right next to her, doesn't she? Well, who is it? Who's standing right next to her? It's her husband. It's Adam. We find out that Adam has been standing right next to her. Well, these questions pop into my head. Well, why didn't Adam stop her? Why didn't he combat the half-truths of the serpent? Why didn't he fight to protect his family from sin? Well, perhaps Adam did nothing to stop her because he wanted to eat of it as much as she did. And the fact that Adam was there and did not stop Eve from eating is significant. The fact that Adam so willingly participates is significant. And there's no hesitation or no, should we do this, or not even any discussion from Adam. There's just simply disobedience. While it was Eve who presented the fruit to Adam, this does not free Adam from any of the guilt in this exchange. He was the one who was tasked to tend the garden and to protect it. He knew the animals. And he must have known the craftiness of the serpent. But yet he willingly disobeyed freely and equally with Eve. This is the moment that everything went from being good in our world to sin entering our world. See, mankind had disobeyed their creator, the Lord our God. They had trusted themselves and what they thought they knew was best instead of what God says is best. God had given them a purpose in the garden. He'd given them a command. He'd given them freedom in the garden. But God also issued a consequence in this moment. If man ate of that tree, then he would surely die. And Adam and Eve and all of, our, all of humanity after them would now be the recipients of this consequence. Let's look now at verse 7. It says this in verse 7. <clears throat> Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. Well, this verse also has a lot of action in it, doesn't it? The consequences of sin are often as fast-paced as, fast-paced as the desire to sin. So they saw and they knew. The crafty serpent had told them some of the truth. But yet when they disobeyed, their eyes were indeed open, and they did in fact gain knowledge. The tree of knowledge had brought them knowledge, but what they knew surprised them. They knew that they were naked. See, the crafty serpent had tricked Adam and Eve into exchanging their innocence for the embarrassing knowledge that they are naked. And for the first time in their lives, humanity felt shame, and humanity felt guilt, and they felt an embarrassment for what it was they had done. And it's ironic that what was pleasing to the eye, the fruit, causes displeasure with their own nakedness, and they seek the need to cover themselves. And for the first time in all of humanity, we see there's this effort to cover up their sins, and it begins right here with covering up their nakedness with fig leaves. And Adam and Eve sought to cover up their shame and their guilt and their embarrassment with fig leaves as clothes. However, imagine what type of puny clothes fig leaves would offer for all of humanity? And these puny and worthless coverings were as puny and worthless as their ability to hide in their disobedience from a good God. And see, although the crafty serpent brought about the temptation within Adam and Eve, they themselves made the choice to disobey God. And it was through this choice that sin entered our world. 
And what God had declared good was broken and separated from him. And their choice led to suffering here on this earth that we see evidence in verses 16 through 24 of chapter 3. And this choice ultimately led to humanity's exit from the garden from living within the presence of God. And God could have left us in this state, eternally separated from him, in this really bad news that we often talk about when we share the gospel. He could have left us in the darkness of being separated from him for all of eternity. But God had a plan to rescue humanity. Praise God for that. He had a plan to send Emmanuel to come and to be with us and to ransom us who is us all who are being held captive by our sin. And we get just a glimpse of that in Isaiah 7:14, this familiar passage where it says, Therefore the Lord will give you, give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And see, while there's darkness in their story, in this story, when all seems hopeless, when all seems to be falling apart, God has a plan and God is making a way. God is sending light into the darkness. Emmanuel is coming and ransom is coming for us all. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. Who is Emmanuel? He's God with us. Why did he need to come? Why did he need to come and ransom those who were taken captive? Because humans chose to disobey God and sin, and that separated us from the Lord God who is perfect and created everything. This is what our text says and what it means today. And I wonder real quickly how it is that we might apply this to our lives today. I have just a few observations for us today. The first one is this. Choose the voices that you listen to carefully. See, the crafty serpent dealt with Eve in half-truths, and he deceived her, and he tempted her. And instead of telling her what it was that she would lose, he only told her about what it was that she was to gain. Today in our culture, we're still in a world dealed with many who are dealing in half-truths. And they're everywhere that we turn. Voices telling us that, hey, sin is really not that bad. And those that oppose evil are wrong. And those that celebrate what is evil are good. And believers, we must be on guard, standing on guard against any voice that tells us that sin is really not that bad, that we can't really trust God's word, and that any voice that distorts the word of God. What was the outcome for Eve when she gave a foothold to these half-truths and these voices that she was listening to? Well, it changed her understanding of God's word, of what he had said, and it changed her view of his lordship in her life. So my voice of caution to you today is this. Be leery of the voices that you are listening to. And parents and grandparents and maybe those who have kids in the home, Be leery of the voices that you allow your children to hear and to be influenced by. And in a moment of vulnerability, I'll just offer this. I don't know exactly what that looks like. Our world is changing so quickly. I don't know exactly what that looks like. We're still wrestling with that personally as a family. But I do know that there are certain shows, even on trusted networks, even kids' shows that I don't allow my children to watch. 
There's certain activities that I don't allow my children to participate in and certain places or people we don't allow our children to go or be around. But when we do find ourselves in situations of where our kids have been exposed to half-truths or what is said that's contrary to God's word, we always attempt to be present and to speak the truth from God's word over what the half-truths that they've just been exposed to. But it's not just for parents or those with children in the home, is it? It's also for students and adults and for all of us. There are always those who are attempting to either in person or to virtually to speak half-truths over our lives. You deserve this, right? You shouldn't be subjecting yourselves to this. You can't discriminate against others by believing this. You can't really believe in a book that was written a thousand years ago that was really true, that it's still true and relevant and really the Word of God, can you? Yes, we can. I still believe that the Word of God is 100% true, and I believe it is 100% God's Word without error, and I do 100% believe that it is relevant for all time. Well, why? How can I trust this book written thousands of years ago? Well, think about this. The Bible was written over a span of 2,000 years by 40 different human authors from three different continents with different cultural backgrounds and different contexts and different uh, economic uh, uh, levels and different education levels and different languages. Yet the Bible has one overarching and common message that Emmanuel is coming that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he is better and he offers redemption for us all. From Genesis to Revelation, there is one story in the Bible. How else can you explain that if this is not God's holy word that was inspired by human authors? See, it tells us that God is holy and man sinned and God made a solution and his name is Jesus. We see this presented over thousands and thousands of prophecies. See, God promised us Jesus before we even knew that we needed him. So my word of caution to you today is this. Only trust the word of God, or you might just end up with a changed view of God's lordship in your life and caught up in a lifetime of heartache and pain in exchange for a moment of indulgence. See, the truth is this. Believers, we need to all be leery of the voices that we are listening to and call them all into check against God's word. Our second observation is this. Hey, don't give temptation your time, right? See, for Eve, the temptation was the fruit and the beauty of it and how it looked and what she thought it might taste like and the substance of it. Uh, But the temptation was not the sin. Uh, Eve's facing temptation was not the sin. And for us, our temptation is not the sin. Uh, But also notice that the devil didn't make Eve sin. Uh, She began by listening to the wrong voices and then she gave temptation her time. And just like with Eve, looking at and glaring at or holding temptation in our hands is not sin, but it usually leads to the action of it. See, we're weak people, right? Joseph knew that when he ran away from Potiphar's wife. Paul knew that when he told us to flee youthful passions. And James knew this when he tells us to resist the devil. So hear me, believer, don't give temptation your time. Instead, run away from it. We all have temptations that affect us differently, and I don't, likely don't need to tell you what the temptations are in your life. But hear me, if you have to ask the question, did God really say, or did God really mean this, then you most likely have your answer whether your temptation is sin or not. So flee from that temptation and don't give it your time. 
See, Christian, the truth is this. When temptation presents itself by distorting God's word and God's goodness, don't believe the lies and don't give temptation your time. Instead, flee from it. And keep your eyes on God and run away. Last observation really quickly today is this. Other sin doesn't give you permission to sin. Adam did what in this story? He sat back and he watched Eve sin. And Adam was supposed to be leading his family, but instead he watched his wife disobey God and then he willingly participated in the disobedience. And here's the thing. Other sin doesn't give us permission to sin. Oftentimes, we're really good at that in our lives, aren't we? We try to find the least common denominator. We're good at justifying our sin on the account of others, aren't we? And we look around and we're like, well, at least I'm not as bad as person A. Or at least I'm not a murderer. I mean, hopefully none of us in this room are, right? Or at least I'm not a terrorist, right? But see, the problem with this train of thought is that our comparison is gazing in the wrong direction. If we're looking for other sin to justify our sins, then we will continually be able to justify our disobedience to God. But we need to gaze in the other direction. Like Hebrews 12 says, to fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And then our goals become quite differently, don't they? Instead of allowing others to sin and to be an excuse for our sin, then we gaze at the perfection of Jesus Christ. And like Paul said in Philippians 3, we press on towards perfection, even though we know it's an untainable goal, right? See, Adam watched Eve sin, and then he gave himself into sin. Adam was not chasing perfection. He was allowing the sin of others to give him permission to sin. So the truth today is this, believers. Other sin doesn't give us permission to sin. <clears throat> and I would be remiss if I didn't mention this. Today, while we focused on our need for Emmanuel to come and why we needed him to come and why we needed him to ransom us, we also know that we're living in the already but the not yet Today, we've been reminded of the darkness of our sin, but today, I also want to remind you of the goodness of Jesus Christ, who has already come. See, we know this truth, that God created you and me, and he is perfect, and he is holy, and he is righteous, and there is nothing that he has ever done that is wrong. But yet, all of us are sinful. We've all broken God's law. We've all done things against God's law. And this creates a problem because it separates us from a holy God who is perfect and cannot be associated with sinners. But that's really bad news, but there's really good news. God loved us so much that he did send Emmanuel, God with us. He, he made a way for us to be forgiven of our sins by sending his only son, Jesus Christ, to earth as a baby. And Jesus was fully God and fully man, and <clears throat> he lived a perfect sinless life here on earth. But he yet, yet he went to a cross, and he died for your sins, and he died for my sins, and died for everyone's sins. But he didn't stay in that grave. Now, three days later, he rose from the grave, and he defeated sin and death so that we all can be forgiven and saved so that we can have salvation if we just cry out to God hey I believe in you and we repent we turn from our sins and we follow him then we will be saved and we will be in heaven for all of eternity with God so today I would like to invite you to respond to this truth if you never have our big idea for today is this Emmanuel came to ransom sinners every head bowed and every eye closed <clears throat> believers of Jesus Christ, as we walk through this Christmas season, this season of Advent, 
Would you focus on the coming of Emmanuel? Would you focus on him and remember what it meant that he came for the first time, God with us? It's easy to get caught up in the busyness of the season, but would you lead your family to focus on him, to focus on our need of him, and to focus what his coming meant for us all and what his second coming means for all of us too? In this season, would you remember Emmanuel and would you tell others about him? Church, let's fight our sin together. Maybe today you need to use this altar to confess your sin. Maybe you need to spend the, use this altar to reorient your minds on Emmanuel in this season, what it means that sin entered to the world and God came to be with us. Or maybe you just need to cry out to God that you need him like we did earlier. Whatever you need to do, this altar is open. Maybe you're here today and you've never responded to the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord and he offers salvation to us all. Today, you don't have to be good enough. You don't have to clean yourself up. Would you just come towards him and tell him that you believe in him, that you'll turn from your sin, and that you'll follow him? If you want to do that, uh, would you come talk to me after the service or uh, during this time when we're standing down front? Maybe today you're looking for a new church home. Uh, We would love for you to join our uh, covenant family here at Mission Dorado as a member. Would you come talk to me? Uh, after the service or during the invitation, I can walk you through the process of becoming a member at Mission Dorado. Maybe you're here today and you need to be baptized. You've never been biblically baptized. Baptism is our first step in obedience, not because it changes us, but because it's a demonstration of what Christ accomplished in our life. Today, if you need to be baptized, would you come and see me? And we would love to schedule that for you to be baptized. Whatever it is that you need to do, the altar is open. And after I pray and we sing, let's do business with the Lord now. Church, I love you so much. Let's pray.